You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Hope-Filled, Joyous Urgency, recorded on July the 3rd, 2016. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, it's time to be awake, not sleep. It's time to be to hear the alarm clock go off. Man, and alarm clocks are much better now than they used to be. I mean, now you can set your alarm to play a song, to do almost anything you want. But back when I was in high school, we had the Panasonic clock with the green letters, and it always made the exact same noise. And uh, your clock, didn't you hate that noise? My clock was like, eh, eh. I remember once watching a movie back in the 80s, um, early 80s, and, and in the movie, somebody had the same alarm clock, had the same sound. It actually cause angst in my heart to hear that. You know what I'm saying? When I was a kid uh, in high school, you never feel like you're, you get enough sleep in high school, uh, and everyone yells at you saying, all you do is sleep all the time. But that's how I felt, never get enough sleep. And it seemed like Saturday morning would be the perfect time to sleep. My mom would always shoot into the room, throw off, throw on the light, even throw the covers off the bed if I didn't move, and say, rise and shine! Well, it's a biblical message. Wake up. Wake up. But in the Bible, generally when we're told to wake up, waking means seeing God and the world properly. Understanding that he's angry at sin, that bad things are going to come to a sinful planet because of sin, and yet that he's generous in salvation to all who hear. To be asleep is to not understand the goodness of God and what he's doing on earth or in your times. Probably the, the examples in the Bible that are most stark about being awake or asleep is Noah was awake, right? Noah was awake. He knew a flood was coming. He built a boat. He got his family ready. He did all that stuff. But everybody else was asleep, and then the floods came. That's a beautiful picture of the theme of being awake or being asleep in the Bible. You might even think of uh, Belshazzar, um, if you guys remember him. He's a guy in Daniel who was partying and uh, defaming God by using uh, stuff he had stolen from the Jewish temple to get drunk in and worship other gods. And a hand came on the wall and wrote on the wall. Remember that? And it said, you have been found wanting. And uh, he didn't care. He was asleep. He kept going. Daniel, who was awake, said, this is bad for you. He didn't care. He was asleep. And the next day, the Persians came over and killed them all. So to be awake is to properly understand what's going on in your world from God's perspective. To be asleep is, is the opposite. You just don't know what God's doing on the earth. And for, for um, our text today, I'm, I actually want to take us uh, 700 years before Christ to Isaiah. And then I want to jump up. Um, a few decades after the cross and see what uh, Paul had to say about being awake or asleep. Um, So we're going to go back 700 years to Isaiah, 700 years before Christ to Isaiah, who was a prophet for a very long time. He ministered for 60 years. He had a 60-year preaching ministry. It's a long time, six decades in Israel. And it was a time of great change for the nation of Israel. Um, In fact, when he was called, Isaiah's calling, is, is, it's in Isaiah 6, um, uh, it, it's, uh, it's a remarkable calling because he, he sees God, he's in a vision. Um, I know many of you probably know that story. If you don't, you can look it up in Isaiah 6. He's praying, he's in a vision, he sees the, the, the Lord and, and his train fills the temple and it's not a choo-choo train, that's his, that's his clothing and, and smoke and clouds and angels and all that business. And then he hears the Lord say, who will go for me? And of course, there's only one person in the vision, not from heaven. So he's like, I guess that'd be me. And he's like, yes, you're going to go and you're going to talk to my people Israel. And then he just told him, tells him this, they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to listen to you. How long, O Lord? That's a great question when you're told that. Having eyes, they won't see. Having ears, they won't hear. That's a horrible ministry in my mind. I don't want to, there's two, there's two preachers I never want to be, Isaiah and Moses. Um, one, nobody listens. Two, they all whine the whole time. Um, so Isaiah, they're not going to listen to you and you're going to go. And it's funny, if you read the first, the first chapter of Isaiah, literally God is talking to his people and saying, wake up. He's saying, listen, you guys are, are called my people, but you don't behave like my people. He says, this is the picture he gives them. Where else can I beat you? Read Isaiah 1, you'll see it. He says, from head to toe, I've already bruised you. I've sent all kinds of nations to come and beat you up. I've sent strife on you. All kinds of things to get your attention. 
I can't find a spot on you that's not bruised to beat. When will you listen to me? And, and that's the hard-hearted people he goes to. So anyway, during his ministry, 10 of the tribes of Israel lose their land. How many tribes of Israel are there? 12. Okay, and one, one is, doesn't have land. It's, it's, actually, they have land in all the, the tribes, and that's the Levites. They're the priests. So they lose most of their land to Assyrians who come down from the north and just beat everybody up, take their stuff, eat their chickens. You know, they, and, and, and why? Because, and Isaiah preached to them for years saying, be careful, stop it, wake up. They didn't wake up. But there was one, there was one tribe left, Judah, in the south, and they had Judah, their land has Jerusalem, the capital city, the temple, and, and they, you'd think, okay, now they're going to listen to Isaiah preach. God sent Isaiah, and, and, and no one listened to him, and we lost most of our land. Now we'll listen to him. No, they didn't. They were proud. They assumed God's favor. Of course they got rid of our brothers. Those were all the pagans. <laughs> we were always, God always liked us better than those other tribes. You know, Israel had a, had a God bless Israel kind of mentality. You know, God bless Israel. They, they had this assumption that, that, that God's favor would always be on their land because they were Israel. They just didn't think that God's favor would be taken away from them. So they never repented of their sin. Ninety years after Isaiah died, Babylon, the Syrians did not take Judah, but the this guy named Nebuchadnezzar, he just came in and he just stomped on Judah. Just stomped on him. Took everyone that was worth anything away. Crushed their temple. No one was left but a few starving people. You see, God sent Isaiah to warn the nation if only they'd listened. But they were asleep. Near the end of his life, Isaiah preached something that I find ironic. It's near the end of his life. Uh, you know, he's been preaching 60 years to people who don't listen. He starts off telling them, God said, I can't find another place to beat you. But in this, it's like as an old man, his appeal changes a little bit. Listen to what he says. Um, this is from Isaiah chapter 60, near the end of the book. He says, arise and shine for your light has come. Wake up. For the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the people. When you see uh, um, the word the people in the Old Testament, it's almost always going to be Gentiles, non-Jews, nations. Anyone who's not a Jew, peoples. And he's saying, look, the glory of the Lord shines on you, you're Israel. And it's going to shine on you. Let me tell you your future destiny. The whole world is in darkness. This world darkness does not mean physical darkness. It means uh, intellectual darkness, spiritual darkness. They don't see God. And because of that, judgment is going to come on the nations because they worship uh, pagan gods and they, they run in sin. They don't listen to God. Here's your destiny. Glory shines on you. Darkness covers the earth. And here's what God's going to do. The Lord will arise on you and his glory will be seen on you. And the nation shall come to your light. Kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around. See. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar. Your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Very interesting. Um, they're about to be exiled into Babylon, and they don't know it. Although he's trying to tell them. And this prophesies of when they're coming back. They haven't even left yet. Your sons and daughters will come back. That's your destiny. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult. Look at those words. Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. What do we see here? Without examining that text closely, in, in, in summary, Isaiah pointed to the salvation God is offering them to motivate them to wake up. And he says, I've already tried beating you. You didn't listen. Okay, here is what I want. Here's your destiny, and it's good. It's an ironic strategy. One of the strategies God can use in your life or mine to wake us up is to warn us with pain. You know, if you can't hear, you can feel. The other is the promise of future joy. 
Both we find in the Bible. This one's the promise of future joy. Look at the language. You shall see and be radiant. He's like, you're not just going to be a little better off. You're going to be radiant. You're go- radiant. You're going to glow. God is going to bring... I was thinking about this. Who? We never use the term radiant to describe anybody with one exception. As it, it, just in our culture, if someone is said to be radiant, we are normally speaking of a bride. I didn't have to tell you. And boy, ra- brides are radiant, aren't they? They are the center of the world on that day. Coming down that aisle, they are the princess. They are the most beautiful one in the room, and we all stand and look at them. That young lady may not have been the most beautiful woman the day before. She could have been downright average. But on her wedding day, God does a miracle. It's like Grinch's heart, you know, growing. <laughs> she really does glow. She really is. I, I think it's it, it, that, that something spiritual is happening, even among the pagans. And that is, she is reflecting the beauty of the bride of Christ, the church at the end of the age, when she will shine like the sun. And so there she is. She's radiant. And it says, and your heart shall thrill and exult. Your heart shall thrill. You won't just be generally okay. You'll be thrilled. When's the last time your heart thrilled? I mean, when's the last time you were so happy that it was embarrassing because you couldn't contain your expressions, right? That hardly ever happens in life. When you're a little kid, it kind of happens until you get to be four or five, then you become self-conscious. But before that, you might actually just thrill. Now, it's very hard to see adults just thrilling. I mean, maybe beauty pageant, right? You <laughs> They can't contain themselves. All their dignity goes out the window. <laughs> Your heart shall thrill and exalt. This is what God's promises to them. By the way, some of the most glorious words ever spoken in, in, in the human history are, are Isaiah chapter 59 to 66. Go read them sometime. It's the future of Israel. Isaiah is preaching their future. I think at this point, it's too late. They're not going to change their mind. God stops talking about beating them, and he says, let me just prophesy to you the ultimate destiny. It won't wake them up either, though. But it's like he's saying, wake up, arise, shine now, now. Don't wait. Don't you see your destiny? What's wrong with you people? But they didn't want preachers like that. See, when you see a a Bible prophet, never think they're alone. They're not. There are lots of preachers in Israel, lots of prophets. They have lots of things to say. And the contemporaries don't go, oh, well, you're Isaiah. You'll be writing 66 chapters in the Bible, so we better listen to you first. It isn't like that at all. They are like, often like John, a voice crying in the wilderness. They, there were other preachers people wanted to hear because they, because see, well, the kind of preachers they wanted at that time were those who, who spoke to their contemporary political situations and told them it's going to come out good for you. Just like today. Boy, it's silly season, isn't it? We call it election time. It's where all the politicians come and suck up to the religious people, and the religious people, like lambs to the slaughter, go, yeah, 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 he's a Christian, he's going to help and save me. Like idiots. We just go, suck up, whatever they say. Happens every four years. They're not going to do it. They're not going to fix it. American Christians, I don't care who you think Jesus called. These guys are lying to you. The particular ones we have this year, if you can't figure out both of them are lying to you, I wouldn't trust either of them to lead one of the Sunday school classes at Harvest Community Church, and I mean that. They would not make it past the filter. And yet Christians are like, oh, God's going to make everything better. They are lying to you. That's the kind of preacher you want. See, I fear the American church is sleeping. I fear. You, you want to know the kind of politician that's going to do something good for your country is the one who tells you the truth. And none of them tell you the truth. Because here's the truth. Here's the truth. 
Right, left, center, green party, I don't care. Someone needs to come out and say, our problems, Americans, is because you people aren't behaving. You need to change your behavior. None of them are going to say that to you. They're going to say, I'm going to give you stuff. And that's what they wanted back then. Someone who spoke and said, look, the Assyrians ain't going to get us like they got our brothers. And neither are those Babylonians because we're going to overcome. And they wanted people, preachers who would bless what they already had. Don't let them take away what we got. Oh, don't worry. And there were plenty of preachers in Isaiah's day saying, God will give you. God will let you keep it. And then there's Isaiah saying, he's going to beat you. (laughs) Who wants to hear Isaiah? And they wanted someone who would preach and endorse their self-indulgent lifestyles. And isn't that what so much of America... I'm not yelling at the world today. I'm yelling at the American church. This is my opinion. I know it's just my opinion, but I think the American church is very much like Israel in the time of Isaiah. Not everybody, not everybody, not you necessarily. But we want God to endorse our self-indulgent lifestyles. We want preachers who will tell us that if we do these seven things, we'll have our best life right now. Don't worry, everything's going to be fine. You're blessed. (laughs) Don't want talk of future glory, they would say. God said, wake up. They snoozed. And then Nebuchadnezzar came and took them all away. When we speak of stewardship harvest, of maximizing the return on the investment God has put in your life, we've got to think about waking up. Many sleep through the message and think they're God's people. God bless us, everyone. God's message to our time is similar to Isaiah's time. Wake up, understand God properly. He's soon going to punish the wicked generations we live in. You know that. Live like you know that. And he will generously thrill and make radiant the faithful. That's the destiny. So live like that is reality. The reality of what God has planned for the whole world will build into those who love God a hope-filled, joyous urgency. The reality, if you really grasp the reality of what God has planned for this world, what it should build in your heart is a hope-filled, joyous urgency. You live with urgency. We're not just running out the clock. Back in the the 80s, the golden age of Christian rock and roll. Most of the vinyl's been lost forever. There was a band called Daniel Amos who had a song that said, all this in heaven when I'm done. I think that's the way the American church sleeps. I know I'm going to get heaven, and while I'm here, I also get lots of good stuff and a safe 401k, and God's going to bless my family, and all my kids are going to be happy and stay home. Everything's going to be just fine, and I'm not going to die for painful death, and everything's going to be fine, and I get heaven. That's called sleeping. urgency says, well, if God's going to do that, I'd better live like my feet are on fire and my rear end is catching. Think about that for a minute. Think how urgent that would make you. So let's look at our text from the New Testament in Thessalonians. Open up your Bible to 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 10. Uh, I go to Thessalonians because Paul appropriates the Isaiah texts in many times. You know he's read them. Some he quotes directly, and I think 1 Thessalonians 5 is one of those examples. So open up to 1 Thessalonians. And, and in 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians are people who are into the end times. They're, they're, you know, some churches just love prophecy. They love end times. They, they want, the, all they want to do is watch the Left Behind movies over and over and read Hal Lindsey. And they got charts on their wall, and, and this, is, this, is when the church, this is when this happens and all that. Who's the Antichrist? Gonna, they got it all figured out, and that's the Thessalonians. And uh, they worry about those things. So Paul writes to them about those things. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 10, he says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need for anything to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware 
that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Love that because they probably know truths that never made it to the Bible because Paul told them all these things about the end times that I'm like, Paul, what do they know that we don't know? I wish, no, they do need to know, Paul. Write it down. We want those details. They are so into the subject. Paul's probably taught on it a ton. Well, you don't need anyone to tell you anything. For you are fully aware, you already know, that the day of the Lord, and that means day of judgment, when the Lord returns, separates the nations, like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, the goats on his left and the sheep on his right, and to the goats he sends to everlasting fire, and the sheep into eternal joy. He's talking about the day of the Lord. How's it come? Like a thief in the night. You know that. Verse 3, not everyone knows that. Why people are saying there's peace, there's security. You know, in the, in the book of Revelations, you have this guy called the Antichrist. And you know what the Bible says about the Antichrist? The whole world marvels at him. People were, all my life, people said, I think that guy's the Antichrist. This person, you might think this person's the Antichrist. Once, someone said Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist. Because Ronald has six letters, Wilson has six letters, and Reagan has six letters. Six, 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 it's him! We don't know who he is. But the world will marvel at him. In other words, it's going to be very impressive. And he, he's going to bring the promise of hope and security. Just like all the politicians, kings, generals, whoever's trying to take over anything today, say, if you elect me, if you appoint me, if you obey me, I'm going to bring you peace and security. And people believe an age of peace and security is coming to our earth. Well, I don't want to be the, the dud at the party, but instead of that, the Bible says sudden destruction will come upon them. Sudden destruction. What's, what's the destiny of the earth? Sudden destruction. Do you know that? Do you re- and I don't want to say, I'm not asking do you believe it. I mean, are you awake? You're dealing with people in life, at work, who are facing sudden, not joy, but destruction. Will you face sudden radiance, joy, exaltation? That's the reality. It's like labor pains on a pregnant woman. I've never been a pregnant woman. I've seen pregnant women. I know, I know women who were pregnant. I know some who are. One thing I do know, once those labor pains start, it looks like a claustrophobic situation to me. You ain't getting out of this. But you, verse 4, are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. You're you're different. You're in the light. You're children of light, children of the day. We are, are not of the night or of the darkness, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. We, our entire mental attitude, our urgencies should come from the reality of knowing that the Lord is going to return and sudden destruction comes on all evildoers, but we, not us. What we should not be doing is trying to think, I'm going to make my little kingdom and castle here. Those, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. By the way, notice what he's doing uh, uh, literature-wise here. He's not talking about soberness as in not drunk, although don't get drunk. He's using sleep and awake as uh, metaphorically. And he's using sober and drunk to parallel that. Sleep equals sober, drunk equals asleep. Day is knowing the truth and living like it. Night is being in darkness, not getting it. Those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But we, since we belong to the day, let's us be sober. Having put on, look at the three things we put on. The breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. Uh, uh, How many of you remember 1 Corinthians 13, speaking of weddings? The love chapter, it ends with, but, you know, everything fades away. But these three things remain. What are they? Faith, hope, and love. That's, That's what he says. Put on Faith and love as a breastplate and the helmet of hope. It's not the helmet of salvation. That's in another place. This is a helmet of hope. It's a hope helmet. I want a hope helmet. 
at VBS, we always have all these things. We were submerged under the sea this year, and that, that's a good thing, I guess. It's just like a baptism, or you just hold people under until they give in. I don't know. Was, we had a waterboarding thing this year. It was good. Just kidding. Next year, I want our VBS people to give us helmets of hope. I want all the little kids with helmets on. For God has not destined, this, this, this verse itself, I could just stop and enjoy for an hour. For God has not destined us for wrath. See, see, he's preaching like Isaiah. Wake up, he's saying, because look at your destiny. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So whether we are awake or asleep, that means alive or dead, we might live with him. Our destiny is assured. Christ went to a cross and died in our place. We can believe in him and have eternal life, not through our good deeds, but because of Christ. A couple observations about the text. I think, though, if you've followed already, I've made as clear as I can the whole point I want to make in the sermon. So we're going to have to take some notes, and hopefully we'll get them all filled in, and I'm going to try to just spell it out. I'm just going to try for the rest of our time to talk about what I've already talked about. But may, perhaps the Holy Spirit's talking to you already. And you have your own applications here. Um, I, I don't doubt that that happens all the time. <laughs> You're just as smart as I am. <laughs> um, when the word is preached, God shows you things. But let's look. Observations regarding the text. One, we must remain a confident people in the midst of a world that misses the point. We must remain confident. We got this thing. But the world misses the point. He says, you know the day of the Lord will come like a thief, but the people around you do not know. The day of the Lord comes like a thief. Like a thief. How does a thief in the night come? He does not alert you. That's the whole point. He doesn't, no thief calls up and says, I'm thinking two in the morning works for me. Does it work for you? Could you be asleep? You might say, well, why doesn't God tell the people of the world that he's coming? He has. He does. We do. You know that. They don't know that. Do you live like you know that, or are you asleep? I really need all my little world to be perfect. Here, that's sleeping. That's not urgent. People who are urgent will do anything to get done what they need to get done. People on a mission, military mission, financial mission, romance mission, whatever it is, they'll push anything out of the way to get done what they need to get done. They don't stop and, and, and just say, well, I, I might get my mission done. I might not. It's really nice just being here. No, no, no. We, we have to have that urgency. Sudden destruction is coming to the earth. Those are very strong words. It's not a harsh talking to is coming from Jesus. When he rolls up the sky and his glory is seen, his righteousness will roll down. And that righteousness does not, it doesn't mean good things for everybody. For those who have, been, who have found shelter in believing in him who died for their sins, it does mean joy forever. But for those who do not, it means every sin exposed and justice done. And that sudden destruction, and it comes fast. You got people, think about people, the leaders of this world are making plans about how they're going to remake their little nations. How they're going to retax and redo and refix. And they're doing a lousy job, by the way, but they've got these plans. And all of a sudden, bam! We can do your plans now. Nebuchadnezzar's at the door. Except for Nebuchadnezzar this time. You know this, he tells them. You know this. Peace and security are near. That's what they believe. Are they right or wrong? Are they right or wrong? Do you live like that? Or do you live in fear of what they think? Or do you go, well, maybe they're right. They will continue to sin till the end. They'll continue to celebrate atheism. 
They'll continue to mock all that is good and true. They'll continue to praise Allah or Buddha or money or their own sexual indulgences or drugs. They'll continue to disobey Christ and ignore God. That's going to go on to the very end all the way up till sudden destruction. And I guess I have to ask you this. Does this truth dominate your worldview? Dominate your worldview. Or do you live like it all ends here? Let me ask this another way. If there were no revival, if the Christians didn't come alive with a vision of the glory of their God and enjoy Him more than ever in the world less, and if the lost do not start seeing Christ and coming to Him, but your society all of a sudden went right. People stopped having abortions and babies out of wedlock and the biggest problem in school went back to being chewing gum. If crime went down, if racial disharmony went down, if the cities cleaned up, if the great injustice known as our medical system was cleaned up, and boy, is that, talk about unjust. It, it is, you talk about an injustice, injustice no one wants to say out loud, I'll say it. It's unjust that a middle-class American can go to an emergency room, stay there for a couple hours, and have a bill for $10,000. There's nothing you can do to a person in that time short of giving them $9,000 in gold that makes it worth that visit. And we just go along, and the government says they fixed it. They are part of the injustice. The insurance companies are part of the injustice. The medical field's part of the injustice. But let's say that gets fixed. Things start to be, make sense again. And everything's fine, and the land is good, and America is a great place to be, and we're safe, and our armies are strong, and our people are, are just generally good. But there's no revival. Would that be enough for you? If even part of you says, it might, you're asleep. You are snoozing. You're not in the light. You're not living for God. I fear that many who know the word sleep, they want comfort here, and they're bored by the promises of Jesus' glory coming to earth. We're like the people of Isaiah's day. That's why he preached in Isaiah 52. He said, awake, awake, wake up. The old man, he's been preaching for decades. Give it up, Isaiah, they ain't listening. Awake, put on your strength, Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised or the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. He did not grow weary of preaching to people who didn't listen to him. He understood what God was doing. He was awake. Are you awake? Christians must repent of pessimism, whining, complaining, and cursing this falling world. Well, the world's so bad out there. They're taking away all our rights. Listen, it's, it's July. We celebrate freedom, and we should. But you know what? If we don't have the freedom to worship, I'm worshiping, aren't you? Is that going to stop you? In fact, I think the church would glow hotter if we didn't have the freedom to worship. I'm for having it. American Christians, I think, are asleep. Do you realize there was a, some president of some Christian university came out and told all his people, you all need to get trained and get concealed carry so that when the Muslims come, we're ready. And what's worse, the students cheered him. Oh, so our solution to the Muslims is to shoot them all. Well, if it all ends here, that's the right decision. Sounds like you're sleeping. Because you know what? It's really hard to witness to a dead person. I want to tell you about Jesus, but I shot you dead. In India, on July 17th, eight people who now follow Jesus, who last year at this time were Muslims, will be baptized. In large part, because of what you as a church did. You may not have seen the connection at the time. Well, I guess our church is leading us this way. Why don't they spend more money right here at home? Some of you said. Because you're asleep. 
because you're asleep. Eight Muslims. We didn't have to shoot them. We didn't have to conceal carry and blow them away. Preach the gospel to them. And when sudden destruction comes on the earth, those eight will be radiant because you did something. Don't you want to do more of that? It's your hometown, in your neighborhood, in your world. That's what wake people do. Wake people? That doesn't mean anything. Not sleeping people. Making up new words as I go. Look, we know what's going to happen. Sudden destruction is coming on your earth. And I don't know that sudden destruction is coming on America, but we are decadent society. There is no reason to think that sudden destruction isn't coming on your nation. But God bless America. God bless Israel. We just have this assumption that nothing could go wrong here. You know that's not right. You know that the sudden destruction's coming. Live like it. Two, we are to live awake as children of light, as children of the day, because that is what we are. There's an identity switch when you come to Christ. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night. We're not of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. What does it mean to be a child of the light? It's nothing freaky. It's not some hippie thing. We can see, is all it's saying. And we can shine the way for others. When you're in a dark room, you stumble around. The whole world is in a room with a light off. They're stumbling around. We spend our time getting mad at them for being sinners. I am not preaching against the world. I am not out there yelling at sinners for being sinners. I'm talking to the church. Because out there, <laughs> we sit around worrying because tri- they triumph over us. You Christians are stupid. We're taking away your rights. Ha, 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 you're stupid. And we're like, oh, I'll show you. Stop that. I like sports. I like watching sports. I don't have enough time in my life to watch sports. And that's a crying shame. But thank God for DVR for those special games. So watching the Penguins play, didn't get to see all the games, saw a few of them. When they lost to the Sharks, you know, they'd score and they'd be like, yeah, we're great. Ah, and they're triumphing over us. And I felt like, I hate you. I hope you die. May pucks go through your brain, you know. It's, it's a good Christian sporting feel, you know. And then we won. So then, because I'm like this, I notice late at night, turn on my TV, hit my NBC Sports is replaying a couple of the games. Turn one on. See the Sharks score a goal. They're all like triumphing. You know how it felt at that moment? I was like, you people better not be so happy. I wasn't mad at them. (laughs) It didn't bother me at all because I knew how this sucker ends. You will be radiant. Sudden destruction is coming on them. Quit fighting them. They're not your enemy. Quit fighting them. Quit. Don't hate them. When Jesus comes back, all their triumphalism will will sound like nothing. Our job is to help rescue them. We are children of the light. They're stumbling around the dark. We find the light switch and go, look, here's the truth. And many will be saved. To be awake means to avoid the sinful ways of darkness and display the characteristics of the kingdom of God. It's not just not doing the don'ts, it's doing the do's. Show them by your love. Show them by your generosity. Show them by your kindness. Be unusually gracious, especially to people who most likely don't like anything about you. Don't sleep. Stay awake. Be sober. In the mid-1970s, ah, that, that used to seem so modern to me, but I know I'm dating myself. Many of you did not exist in the mid-70s. But let me tell you a story about it. There were once in the mid-70s two 12-year-old boys playing on a swing in a trailer park playground. 
And, and a grown woman came up, a mom came up to them. She had no business talking to them necessarily, but she started a conversation with them. And they quickly found out, she told them that she was a humanities teacher. And those two boys, in a very disrespectful way that was wrong, mocked that woman because they were products of the public school system in Hillsborough County of Tampa, Florida, where they were forced in the third and fourth grade to endure humanities class, where some crusty old lady came in and said, sit up straight, posture please, and then made you recite this. Humanity is what man has done to make the world a better place in which to live. And so that dreadful class where you had to learn about some yo-yo carvazier named Van Gogh and, and about, about like Leonardo whatever, Those two boys mocked that poor woman who came just to say hello. And they said, we know what man has done to make the world a better place in which to live. But that woman was awake. So what she said to them was, well, man will never make the world a better place in which to live. The world will be a better place when Jesus comes back. Well, she had their attention. So she got them off the swings and she sat them down and she explained to them that Jesus Christ dies for sinners to rescue us. God loves us. He doesn't want to crush us. He wants us to freely come to him, believe in him, receive him in our hearts, and all our sins will be washed away. She explained the whole thing to him. She even prayed with the boys. But had she looked those boys up a year later, two years later, three years later, as they grew into past puberty, into young adulthood, she'd have found out that her words fell on deaf ears because they lived uh, completely against everything she told them. She, was, she found two people stumbling in the dark, and she shined the light. But one of those boys is preaching to you today. Right? Okay, don't. You're, you're cheering for her, I hope. She may never know till heaven. And that boy, after leaving home a couple years later, without any other human preaching the gospel to him, because of the memory of what she said, came to know Christ, saw the light. That's what children of the light do. They, she saw the big picture. She was not a woman without trials. She lived in a trailer park with us. Jesus died for sinners. That's the good news. People who are awake, that is their joy. To rescue people from destruction. Many say they believe this, but they live like they're asleep. There's no urgency. There's no hope. You got to live like your feet are on fire and your rear end's about to catch. Why? Because verse 9, for God has not destined us for wrath. Remember that when next time you get someone tells you you're so sick you're going to die, say that's okay because God has not destined me. To feel the anger of his wrath at my sin. But he took all that anger and he poured it out on himself in his son on the cross who is innocent. And took my sins away. So my destiny is life forevermore. And by the way, I know you're mostly white. But if I was black, I'd say, ain't nobody listening to me in here. Can somebody give me some help? Thank you. Just a little bit. You don't got to change your identity. Just a little once in a while. That's all I need. Because we're talking about the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, sleep is Paul's way in this case of using the word differently to talk about being dead. What a beautiful way to say it. Your body is just sleeping. Worms are eating it. (laughs) But God will take care of that later. But even if we're dead, we're alive. All right, I'm down to my application point. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because you pretty much have it. Like I said, halfway through this sermon, I was pretty much done. I'm just trying to drive home the same points over and over. So, two applications. Live with hope-filled, joyous urgency, abstaining from the sins of this age. I don't want us to be pessimistic uh, martyrs walking around going, well, it's going to stink and I need to live a sacrificial life so that you can know Christ. Who wants to come to that? You know, a lot of people, you know, do you know there's some people who invite people to our church instead of theirs? There's people who have said, 
Look, you really need Jesus. Why don't you go to harvest? May that never stop. But the reason they're doing it is they know the culture of their church is dreadful. That's another thing no one's allowed to say out loud. Most churches are boring as all get out. Now, we're not trying to be exciting here, by the way. We don't do anything to be exciting to unbelievers. Nothing. We don't preach to be exciting to unbelievers. We don't play music to be exciting to unbelievers. We don't play music to appeal to unbelievers. We play the music of your culture so you can worship your God. That's why we do it. It's not so we'll draw unbelievers. But we know that if you sing slow music in a dreadful manner, most people, except those who have been taught to love that culture for nostalgic reasons, most people are going to be, well, just go in most churches and do that. There's people come here and goes, if only we sang the hymns. Why don't you go back to the church you came from and sang the hymns and look at all the men. They're like leaning on the pews. They're tired. Their lips don't move because they don't sing. You, we can play games all we want, but I've been there. I've seen them. I've been in them. I've preached in them. We play the music of your culture so that you can enjoy Jesus because you're excited about Jesus. We don't preach in such a way that will, we definitely don't. If we wanted to appeal to them, we'd be preaching your best life now. But we want to be excited about Jesus. That's what it means to live a joy-filled urgency. If you're going to work saying everyone needs Jesus and you're the biggest, obnoxious, most law, legalistic jerk in the room, no wonder they don't listen to you. And you sit there going, they just don't love Jesus. Well, they might if you would present him correctly. I mean, you're a, you're a downer. We need to be a, have a joyous urgency abstaining from the sins of this age. Hope-filled. All right, let me move on to the last one. Those who things you want to do for God, do them now. Because the things you're getting ready to do never get done. I talked to a lot of Christians who are getting ready. I'm getting ready to do that. Oh, I've always wanted to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm getting ready. You're getting ready. You're getting ready. You know what happens to the thing you're getting ready to do? They don't get done. It's like the people you, you we're going to get together someday. You ever get together with those people? No. We, we got to get together. Yeah, we do. Okay, you're never going to get together. You know how you get together with people? You go like this. We got to get together. Yeah, we do. How about Friday? Well, Friday I'm busy. Monday, maybe. Tuesday? Okay, let's do Tuesday. That's the only way to make it go. There's people for years. I've been going to stop by their house and they've been going to stop by mine. And we don't. You have gifts and opportunities in this life, but only for a moment. And don't think God owes you to give you time till you get to it. Till you know enough about Christ to step out on faith. Till you've got your finances in order so you can do the right thing. Till you feel more spiritual. This, this, this imaginary time when you, you never miss a quiet time and you're really feeling it. If you're waiting for that, you're never going to do it. And you're going to die that way. Do it now. Well begun is half done. The longest journey begins with a single step from the smallest acorn, the mighty oak tree grows. These are all what the old wives used to say. Well, old wives must know something. That all makes sense to me. Get moving. Awake. Now is the time to make your mark for Christ. There are people dead that I knew that I didn't expect to be dead in 2016. You got now and that's it. Gird up your loins, Christians. It's time to work. In Ephesians 5, Paul quotes Isaiah. I know he likes Isaiah. He talks like him, and here he just, he just I'm just going to go out and quote him and change a word or two. He says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the best use of the time, because the days are evil. You cannot bring maximum return to God's investment unless you have urgency in your soul for what is true, and that is sudden destruction is coming on this earth. You have radiance Live like that. Now. I want to close with a, just introducing you to Rudy Schober. He's a man I knew. My first, only other pastor at First Baptist Church in Union, New Jersey. 
a church that I loved. Music was dreadful, but I loved the church. <laughs> I cringed when visitors came. I was like, this is going to be rotten. <laughs> I did. It's true. But Rudy, when I met him, he's he like 70-something years old, 72 years old maybe. And, and when he told his testimony, he said he got saved when he was 42. His, his, he was a CPA, so he would go to churches all around, all these dead churches, so that he could make business contacts because CPAs need to get clientele. And, and then, but his kids, one particular su- summer, went to their neighborhood VBS at First Baptist Church. And one day they came to him and said, Dad, we want to go to our church. And he was convicted, so he went to that church. A few weeks later, he gave his life to Christ. Every time he told him that story, he would cry. And not tears of joy. They were regret. And I'm like, what? why do you get so upset? He said, because for 42 years I lived and raised my family without Christ. But he didn't waste a day after that. He was a Gideon. A lot of people are Gideons or aren't. They, they're Gideons, but they don't actually pass out Bibles. They don't go to other countries, pass out Bibles. They don't donate their money. They just don't have time for it. They just join and get a little button. He, he started a group. He wanted to reach Newark for Christ. Newark needed Christ then. Newark needs Christ now. He put together a little board. A board. We're going to evangelize Newark. And one of their plans was he would go in there with another guy. He would play his trumpet, play some music for these guys in the hood, right? They could not identify. He'd blow his trumpet. They Nothing was happening. You might say, well, that's dumb. That's not culturally relevant. Maybe not, but he was moving. He was moving in the now, using what he had. So he realized, hey, this ain't working. So he, he found someone who did urban ministries in California. He called him. He says, we can't figure out how to do this. Come out and talk to our board. The guy came out and talked to our board. He says, this is what we're doing. This is what we're trying. The guy listens to him and he goes, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. It's not working because you're not culturally relevant. You don't know what you're doing. And they said, would you help us? He goes, I'll help you, but only if you let me do everything and give me all your resources. And Rudy said, okay, let's do that. And he became a board that helped them. And they started a ministry called World Impact. And this week we had 39 of our people at World Impact in Newark because there is a ministry there because that man went to a VBS or his kids did. And he lived like his feet were on fire and his rear end was catching He was generous for the cause of Christ and missions his whole life. He worked hard in the church. He was always a unifier, always a leader, always a builder. When he died at 86 or 87, I I drove out from here to do his funeral and wished I could live a life like he did. Okay, you got till now till you die. When is that? Could be tonight. You know. Sudden destruction is coming on this place. You know it. Now you can sit around trying to get your guy elected and your 401k fattened up and get all the toys you expect to get to make you happy or you can live like you believe sudden destruction is coming and you have opportunities for the gospel. Which are you going to do? And if you're going to live like you have opportunities for the gospel, put a smile on your face. This is good work. You have good brothers and sisters as co-workers. You have an excellent Savior who's going to give you radiance. You guys are going to shine like the sun. Some of you are kind of ugly right now, i got to tell you. <laughs> but it's only temporary. You are going to shine like the radiant sun. And you're going to be, some of you a little down, some of you are going to be so happy. You're going you're to make Miss America on the moment she's crowned look like she's, like she's Eeyore, the, the, you know, you're going to be so... <laughs> Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.